welcome to Native America Calling. I'm Sean Spruce. The Choctaw Nation just started construction on an expansion of their medical center complex that will offer new cardiopulmonary care and family practice services for citizens. It's an example of how tribal self-governance can improve the lives of Native Americans. Ahead of an annual conference on the topic, we're going to hear about some of the recent gains and losses for tribal self-governance and what that means for tribal citizens. We're back after the news. This is National Native News. I'm Jill Freitas from KMBA in Anchorage, Alaska, filling in for Antonia Gonzalez. The U.S. Department of Energy recently announced that seven states, three tribal nations, and the District of Columbia were selected as the second cohort to receive more than $77 million in grid resilience state and tribal formula grants. Supported by the infrastructure law, the grants are intended to help modernize the electric grid to reduce impacts of extreme weather and natural disasters, while also ensuring power sector reliability. According to the agency, the funding helps deliver on the Biden administration's goal of ensuring all communities have access to affordable, reliable, 100% clean electricity. The tribes awarded funding for fiscal years 22 and 23 are the Cushada Tribe of Louisiana, the Mohegan Tribe in Connecticut, and the Scotts Valley Band of Pomo Indians in California. Many creatives recently took part in an indigenous Comic Con festival in Denver. The Mountain West News Bureau's Emma Vanderdyne tells us about part of the event, a heavy metal concert. The opening guitar riff rang out of the Levitt Pavilion speakers just outside Denver. Eager heavy metal fans lined the barrier at the Res Metal concert, cheering on the Arizona native band Merciless Indian Savages. They were among the artists at Iacon, an indigenous Comic-Con festival, featuring everything from a futuristic fashion show to a blacklight powwow. The word Aya is from the Lakota language, meaning to change or become. Christina Maldonado Badhan co-founded the new event, and she says the goal was to show people the range of what indigenous art looks like. We have powwow dancing and we have a lot of our culture presenting, but we have toys up there. We've got like comic books, there's anime stuff, there's horror stuff, like it's really broadened. Most Comic-Cons feature voice actors and celebrities from superhero and sci-fi movies. The Denver event was all about indigeneity, and highlighting the breadth of their skills and talents, including heavy metal music. People think it's nonsense, but we're like spitting some knowledge, you know, that people are unaware of, and metal's like the perfect canvas to do that. That's Corey Ashley, the vocalist for Merciless Indian Savages. Their songs often reference genocide and oppression inflicted upon indigenous people. One of the songs is titled, Kill Man, Save the Indian. It's a twist on the philosophy behind the traumatic Indian boarding schools, enforced for decades by the U.S. government. Originally, everybody knows, obviously, kill the Indian, save the man. But we're like, you know, that. We want to, like, empower our people, and we want to denounce this this way of saying it. Ruben Dawahoya, the band's bass player, says he wanted to show that indigenous people belong in heavy metal, too. We're just turning the tides, basically. Turning the vice versa around on everybody else, saying that we can't evolve, we can't do things that everybody else can. For National Native News, I'm Emma Vandenindy. The American Association for State and Local History has selected the first Americans Museum in Oklahoma as a recipient of the History and Progress Award, an award of excellence for Winnico, Life of an Object. 
The History Progress Award is in recognition for achievement in the preservation and interpretation of state and local history. The HIP Award is an additional award for excellence for inspirational, exceptional scholarship or is entrepreneurial in terms of funding, collaborations, creative problem-solving, unusual project design, or inclusiveness. This year, there are 53 national awards honoring people, projects, exhibits, and publications. The First Americans Museum in Oklahoma City focuses on educating the public about the cultures, diversity, history, and contributions of the 39 tribal nations in Oklahoma today. The 175,000-square-foot facility showcases exhibits, live public and education programs, native-inspired cuisine, and a museum store featuring native arts. I'm Jill Freitas. National Native News is produced by Kiwanak Broadcast Corporation with funding by the Corporation for Public Broadcasting. Support by BNSF Railway, proudly supporting the nation's economy by moving the goods that feed, supply, and power communities across the country. More at bnsf.com slash tribal relations. Ready to start, manage, or grow your small business? The U.S. Small Business Administration can help with advice and resources. See what SBA can do for you. Go to sba.gov start. Native Voice One, the Native American Radio Network. This is Native America Calling. Strong self-governance empowers tribes to make decisions on how best to provide health care for their citizens. It also provides control over how to ensure justice for victims of crime. A recent ruling by the U.S. Supreme Court defends tribes' right to have a say in how their children are cared for. But that is not likely to be the last word by opponents of the Indian Child Welfare Act. There are constant challenges to tribes' ability to practice self-governance, and there are several recent wins and losses in the drive to protect that. We'll hear from leaders and officials today about their assessment of tribal self-governance. But we also want to hear from you. Has your tribe expanded its ability to self-govern? Have there been setbacks? Or maybe a better question, what does tribal self-governance mean to you? Join our conversation by calling 1-800-996-2848. That's also 1-800-99-NATIVE. You can also post on any of our social media pages. Joining us from Squim, Washington is W. Ron Allen. He is the tribal chairman for the Jamestown Sklalem Tribe. Ron, welcome to Native America Calling. Oh, thanks, Sean. Uh, delighted to be here with you, with everyone. <clears throat> Joining us from Ada, Oklahoma is Chris Anatubby. He is the Lieutenant Governor of the Chickasaw Nation. Lieutenant Governor Anatubby, welcome to our show. Thank you very much. Glad to be here. Thanks for the opportunity. And joining us from Durant, Oklahoma, is Melanie Fourkiller. She is the Director of Self-Governance and Health Policy for the Choctaw Nation of Oklahoma. She is Cherokee and Choctaw. Melanie, welcome to our show as well. Thank you so much, Sean. It's a pleasure. Absolutely. Well, let's get this conversation started, folks. And Ron, I'd like to start with you. And, and please tell us, how do you define self-governance for the Sklalem Tribe? It uh, is 
exercising our sovereignty as a nation and and exercising our jurisdiction. It uh, allows us, or well, enables us, um, to be able to prioritize uh, what is important for our community relative to uh, whatever uh, federal program that, that we take over and put into our compacts. Okay, exercising sovereignty and jurisdiction. Well, tell us more. I mean, how does that, what does that really look like there for the Sklalem tribe? What's kind of the perfect version of self-governance for you folks? Well, uh, we have a number of examples um, where we've negotiated uh, compacts with the Bureau of Indian Affairs and the Indian Health Service, like most of our sister tribes. Um, and for us, uh, probably one of my best examples is healthcare. Um, you know, we took over um, the, the programs uh, from this IHS service unit that was serving our, our tribe and, and four other tribes. And so we separated out from that service unit, took what was uh, what resources were made available to us, and decided that we were going to run our own healthcare program. And and as a result, what we ended up doing is um, is providing well expanding the services to both Indian and non-Indian like in our communities that we all those who serve us, all those who work with us, et cetera. And what that allowed us to do is expand our ability to recover enough revenues to secure um, um, the, the best professional health care providers that we can that we can secure from the doctors to the nurses to the administrators, et cetera. And it, it elevated our capacity to uh, um, enhance tertiary uh, specialist care and just broaden it out. We did it with the primary care and we did it with the dental care and both have been phenomenally successful. Because of that success, uh, not being able to wait for the uh, IHS to build us a, a clinic or a facility to accommodate uh, these services, we were able to leverage our revenue to get a loan and build our own facilities and expand. Uh, today, we expanded, including um, opiate and substance abuse. So uh, we just built and, and opened up about uh, eight, nine months ago um, what we call a healing clinic. And it's for those who are struggling with opiates and substance abuse, heroin, fentanyl, et cetera, and providing what we call wraparound services. So it's allowed us to dis expand and, and really make a big difference. Um, it's true for that program. Uh, it's also true for natural resources and public safety um, and many of the other programs that we've taken over. So, Ron, you've just described uh, the tribe taking over a service, compacting what used to be done by the Indian Health Service. And so often when we think of self-governance, I think many people automatically assume, well, th these are tribes that are taking over roles that were previously provided by the federal government, either Indian Health Service or the Bureau of Indian Affairs. Is that always the model with tribes to, to take over those services from those specific uh, DOI entities? Or are there other ways for tribes to achieve self-governance? Well, you know, since the uh, you, you have to go clear back to the Snyder Act when tribes were using grants in order to provide services for their peoples. Um, and then the Self-Determination Self Education Assistance Act in 1975 uh, changed the game uh, for tribes. And now we are not just grant providing grants or, or securing grants, uh, but we're also doing contracts, long-term contracts. And uh, then we discovered that it wasn't working because we were still being uh, uh, dictated to in terms of how we should provide those services uh, categorically from one field of, of expertise to another. 
And uh, then there was all this, uh, 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 you know, uproar over mismanagement abuse uh, uh, by the federal system to Indian country, uh, making uh, notions that we were actually getting 10 cents on the dollar, et cetera. Out of that, that was back in the late 80s, about 88, 89. And out of that came this concept. Well, why don't we just negotiate our fair share and do it, do it ourselves? And that that started in the early '90s, um, and, uh, and then my tribe and a number of others, uh, Choctaws on the phone here in Chickasaw, uh, Cherokee. They were all they were all among those early tribes that that said yes, it is how we should do business. And there are other um, techniques that are out there uh, that that tribes are using as a result of this concept. And so, uh, but the self-governance is, is more driven by uh, the tribe's sovereignty and our discretion as opposed to being um, dictated to by the programs that provide the services who think that they know better on how to serve our peoples. Um, and so it, it really is the, the uh, way that, that tribes are, are moving um, and it's, 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 it's a way that we can transfer these resources to the tribes in a more meaningful way and be and be a lot more efficient with the uh, uh, carrying out of these uh, of all these different programs and services. Ron, with the self-governance comes independence, comes control, but it also comes with an added degree of responsibility. Can you talk about that? Well, in the self-governance determination, uh, self-governance legislation, the first one was called Title IV. That's in the Self-Determination and Education Assistance Act uh, legislation. And then uh, that's for the Bureau of Indian Affairs and the Department of Interior. And then Title V is dealing with um, uh, uh, IAHS specifically. Uh, we are pursuing Title VI, which will broaden out into other programs in HHS. But, but primarily, uh, you know, what we're doing is, is uh, uh, moving the legislation forward so that, that we are accountable, uh, that, that we don't have to provide uh, these onerous and very time-consuming reports uh, or, be, or to, to be controlled by their perceptions of how the program should be run. But it does require accountability. We are required to do audits. We are required in our audits to show that we're using the, the, the resources in a way that's consistent with the laws that, uh, that authorize them. So uh, we're okay with all that, with, with fiscal accountability, and, uh, and we have audits that go on. And so when we started, there was only about eight of us, um, and today there's well over 380 tribes that are in the program uh, and uh, varying levels of programs that they decide to take over. The tribe can choose which program they want to take. They don't have to take them all. They can take the ones that work for them. And so uh, it, it has evolved immensely. But the bottom line is, going to your accountability question and transparency question, um, we, are, we feel that we're very accountable. Uh, you can only get a small handful where things have gone sideways. But, but that happens for everybody, that sometimes mm-hmm. things go awry and, and you have to uh, fix them. 380 tribes that are in some level of self-governance with varying programs out of more than 570 federally recognized tribes. So that's well over half. Now, what is the, the overall trend, Ron, amongst tribal nations? As you mentioned, because they're at different levels. Some tribes don't want any part of this at this point. Others are very invested in self-governance. But do you think the overall trend is for at some point in the future, all of those 570 plus tribes to be fully self-governed? 
I, I believe that's that's the direction we're going. Um, you have to remember we're dealing with 250 plus years of of dependency on the federal government that uh, are articulated in treaties and, and and other commitments that the federal government made with Indian country. Uh, there was all the termination issues that we dealt with back in the in the uh, 40s, 50s, and 60s uh, of last century, and uh, and you know the boarding school issues. There was a ton of issues that we had to wrestle with, but it was more dependency, uh, and so you're having to deal with this cultural change um, in terms of of the trust and the confidence of the of all of our indigenous communities to trust our government to trust our leadership do they elect them um and and even you even see that tribes where the where tribes uh governing documents had the BIA or, or the federal government involved in, in their affairs, they're now removing uh, those, those um, roles. So it's changing immensely, but it's a, it's a cultural change, and, it, and, it, and you're making adjustments that, that has, been trans, has been passed down through generations. So we're not going to change overnight, but, but we have a lot of very progressive uh, tribes out there, small and large. Um, and so uh, you're you're seeing the movement in that direction, and 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 we are being uh, very uh, uh, transparent and sharing of what works for us, and then then the tr- leadership of the different tribes who are not in it have to decide what they're going to do. I can tell you, the Navajo Nation at one time said that doesn't work for us, but then now they said, yeah, it does, but they're incrementally uh, moving into self-governance because of the complexity of the Navajo Nation. W. Ron Allen speaking with us today on Native America Calling. We'll be right back. As a Native stepdad, you might have had to work around child custody issues, divided parent loyalties, and on-the-job father figure lessons. But stepdads have their own rewards as well. We recently explored the joys and setbacks of stepmotherhood. Now we bring you the world of stepfathers on the next Native America Calling. Hamitakipiki, calling all warriors. It's time for self-care. Warriors all deserve a chance to be at their best to protect their loved ones. For more information, visit go.cms.gov slash men's health checklist. A message from the Centers for Medicare and Medicaid Services. Oh, Thank you for listening to Native America Calling. I'm Sean Spruce. We're talking with tribal leaders and officials over the state of self-governance with tribes across the country. Join our conversation by calling 1-800-996-2848. Our number again, 1-800-996-2848. If you call now, we'll get you right through on the air. No callers in the line yet. And a reminder, you can listen back to today's show and past shows on Spotify, Apple Podcasts, and other apps that carry podcasts. W. Ron Allen is the tribal chairman for the Jamestown Sklalem Tribe, and Ron, of course, uh, so much news recently with the ICWA decision from the Supreme Court. Does it have broader implications for tribes with regard to self-governance and independence? 
Oh, uh, definitely. Uh, I think the good news is it affirmed uh, the constitutional-based um, uh, relationship between uh, the, uh, the United States and uh, Indian nations. And um, so that, that, is, uh, that is critical. It, it's really critical for uh, our ability to control um, you know, the, the welfare and the interests of our children who, who are put in foster and adoption uh, uh, care families. And so that we, we can keep them tied uh, uh, or keep the nexus with their culture. But when you look at the decision, seven to two, that was a huge victory. Uh, the couple of very, very conservative right uh, uh, judges, you know, uh, we didn't expect from them because we don't think that they fully support our, our political standing. But that's the most important point. What it did is it affirmed that we are not a race based uh, set of, of communities. We are political. We are government. And the United States recognized our governmental sovereign standing in that decision. They didn't get out and say it directly. Uh, uh, Judge Gorsuch did. Uh, did. Um, he really made some strong statements, and and uh, and some of the other judges did uh, join in with his with his observation about that political standing that we have a long history that stems from the Constitution into litigation that has uh, passed on that affirms our, our political standing. So, yes, uh, sovereignty, uh, uh, self-governance, uh, and everything else we're doing with regard to the federal government, making sure that, it, that the federal government and the Congress, whenever it passes legislation that deals with governmental rights, that the tribal governments are included. So you have the federal, state, local, and tribes, not necessarily in that pecking order because ours is more directly related to the federal government, but that we're recognized. So it was a huge, huge win. Uh, but there are warning signs, um, you know, because they, they invited uh, uh, litigation that may uh, reference uh, the um, uh, individual uh, – I can't remember the, uh, the phrase right now um, – but the, that there are uh, there's a particular phrase or a particular right that is constitutionally based um, that um, that may come back and, and haunt us. So the race so question, right? They, they didn't well, actually. Uh, no, it was uh, the, the two issues were the commandeering and, and uh, uh, Melanie and Chris might remember uh, the other two. The other one that it, uh, relative to um, a fundamental right. They didn't have, okay. unfortunately, Texas didn't have a standing on that issue. So, so it was deferred uh, that, they, that they didn't address it. So I'm drawing a blank on it right now, Sean, but, uh, but it's a big <laughs> victory and uh, it, it's much, much broader than Indian child welfare. Okay. All right. Maybe it's the supremacy clause. That's what one of our, our producers is, is messaging me right now. But anyway, let's go ahead and bring Melanie into the conversation now. And Melanie, if you'd like to chime in uh, with regard to those, uh, what uh, Ron just talked about with regard to the challenges to ICWA and the Supreme Court ruling or provide some clarification, please do. Okay. Um, thank you, Sean. Uh, I don't have more to say about that, but to speak more generally about challenges to sovereignty and and how it relates to our self-governance initiatives. Um, you know, all tribes are sovereign nations, and, and the ability to self-governance is inherent. So um, tribes don't necessarily need a self-governance compact to self-govern. Um, so when we're talking about the conference next week and we're talking about this federal Indian policy, what we're talking about is the um, self-governance authority that's in federal statute 
providing a direct means and really a mechanism for tribes to exercise their sovereignty in the way that they choose by taking on these federal programs and services that were dominated by the federal government previously and administering them themselves in their own way. Um, our conference uh, you know, theme next week is serving our people our way. And that really says it all in terms of uh, what self-governance is about, is um, being able to direct those resources, consolidate, reallocate, and design those services in a way that best responds to our people's needs. So um, these overlying <clears throat> sovereignty issues do play a part, um, obviously, in how we're able to exercise our sovereignty. Um, but then we're also talking about the federal policy and, and policymaking with regard to all of these programs and services and our flexibility to deliver those services in a means that means, makes sense for our people. Mm -hmm. Melanie, listening to you now, listening to Ron earlier, so often the words tribal sovereignty come up when talking about self-governance. Is it safe to use those terms interchangeably? Well, there is, um, there is a difference when we talk about the self-governance initiative because, because that was part of the Indian Self-Determination and Education Assistance Act and really a shift in, in federal Indian policy uh, to allow tribes to take their shares and and redirect them in a, in a way that's going to ben better benefit their people at the local level under tribal decision-making. And you all talked a little bit about accountability, and really it is a shift from being accountable as a contractor to the federal government for these services, but rather you're accountable to your own tribal government. Um, it's, the, it's the tribal leadership that holds you accountable on the ground for success and for delivering those programs and services. So it really is a shift and it is additional responsibility because it's up to the tribe to make it successful at that point. Right, right. It, it is a huge shift. And, and I'm glad you, you point that out because I'm curious to know, I mean, there with your community there, the Choctaw Nation, I mean, what do you think the average tribal member, how do they feel about self-governance? Do you think they're supportive of it? Do you think they prefer it? Do you think they're happy with how it works with the tribe ultimately be accountable for these services, for these programs? Or do you think some folks would prefer the old way? Well, um, I think having, you know, the Choctaw Nation having been involved in self-governance for so long, it's been more than 30 years. Um, and so in that instance, I don't know that a lot of our tribal uh, citizens know any other way of doing business than, than the tribe having control over these resources. Um, we mm -hmm. compacted with Indian Health Service back in 19, 1995, one of the earlier tribes, DOI the following year, um, quickly constructed a replacement hospital in Tallahena, Oklahoma, which is a very rural community um, that was outdated and, and insufficient to serve the needs of the people, um, and expanded services and, and facilities ever since that time. Um, so it's, I, I think it would be really difficult for folks uh, out in the community to, to know any other way of, of us operating anymore, um, that the tribe can be responsive to addressing needs as they see fit rather than having to ask the federal government for approval. Okay. Well, Melanie, as you point out, the Choctaw Nation has been very progressive with regard to improving its health care for citizens. And uh, can you tell us a little bit more about how self-governance influences that commitment to, to health care? 
certainly, certainly. I mentioned the construction of a new hospital. was really one of the earliest tribally constructed hospitals in the Indian health system. Um, and the clinic system, uh, we took over the existing IHS clinics, which were a few, and now it's expanded to eight outlying outpatient facilities, um, one of which was the first to have outpatient surgical operatories. We have four operatories in Durant in the outpatient facility there. And the expansion, I think, was mentioned in the opening of this show uh, in McAllister, Oklahoma. We'll also have uh, outpatient surgery services and specialties available. So um, the range of services as well as the volume of services greatly uh, has improved under the tribal administration of these programs. We now have a patient population of over 67,000 folks in the Choctaw Reservation, which is incredible. Um, we deliver over 350,000 primary care visits every year. Over ha one and a half million prescriptions are filled every year. It's just a huge volume of services that are going out to the people. And I think, you know, it's become expected now that we're the, the go-to in rural health care in, in our reservation. And what's also interesting to point out, Melanie, is that this is all built upon a foundation. It's, it's built upon a foundation of independence, uh, of economic development. Uh, Choctaw Nation is very, very successful uh, there in, in the state of Oklahoma, one of the largest employers, I believe, in that area. And um, so obviously that the groundwork that had to be laid to provide this huge, huge self-governance infrastructure, that took time to build, did it not? It does. It grows. Um, it, you don't see, <clears throat> you know, you don't see an immediate, like the first year um, of assuming programs under self-governance, that rapid growth, it builds and then builds, compounds upon itself. Um, so it's not only tribal resources that come into play, but also third-party resources that we're able to collect from Medicare, Medicaid, private insurance that we've been able to maximize by being very diligent about collecting those resources that are due us um, and plowing them back into the health system for expanded services and expanded facilities. So it really is a combination of all of those things and synergy together um, that help build um, and grow uh, a health system. And that's what the Choctaw Nation's been able to do. Melanie, what you're describing then is that self-governance breeds more self-governance. It compounds, it expands. Uh, that's fascinating. Ron, would you agree with that? Self-governance builds more self-governance? Oh, there's no question about it. Uh, what, uh, when self-governance emerged, it really uh, uh, caused the tribes to step back and take a look at their governing uh, uh, infrastructure, your political legal infrastructure. And now we took over these resources that we negotiated that Melanie's referencing. And then we had to find out, make sure that how do we uh, reuse those, those resources and we need to be able to communicate with the people. So then now our, our decision making in terms of the use of these monies um, on an annual basis has to be relative to how we, how we interface and communicate with our people. And so that is part of our governing structure. So it's, it's ordinances, codes, policies, and the process. It, it really it caused us to be function more like governments than ever before, not like contractors. Mm -hmm. Good point, good point. Melanie, so um, in addition to healthcare, where else does self-governance show up in places there within the Choctaw Nation? Yeah. Um, one thing I did want to touch on before I leave healthcare is, 
is recruitment and retention of health professionals. Um, it's a huge challenge in rural Oklahoma and especially in the Choctaw Nation. Um, our hospital is located in a community of 1,100 folks, all total. Um, and so getting health professionals to move there, live there, bring their families there is really a challenge. And, and so um, seeing that need, um, you know, the leadership of the health system, the tribal leadership supported um, entering into a, a graduate medical education program uh, that we started in 2012 under tribal initiative and with the authority of self-governance to redirect resources and start it. Um, getting a HRSA grant to help uh, defray some of those costs, but using other resources to build out resident housing, building a resident clinic um, and educational facilities, et cetera. We're now up to 15 accredited GME positions, which has been the single most successful recruitment and retention tool that we have in our belt. Um, it's 80% of our residents that complete the program stay to practice in rural Oklahoma, and over 70% stay with us in our own health system, which has been incredibly helpful for a pipeline of professionals. So that's always a challenge in Indian country is getting uh, professionals to, mm -hmm. to live in your communities and practice in your communities, and it's really been very successful to raise the overall quality of our health system, and we're really proud of it. I guess another area... <clears throat> that, you know, has become a very recent, um, recently highlighted because of the Supreme Court decision in McGirt has been public safety and justice. And um, prior to the decision uh, that reaffirmed that our reservations were never disestablished, uh, the Choctaw Nation had already assumed law enforcement courts and, and associated other services for public safety and justice under self-governance. So the tribe already had uh, the ability to quickly react um, to the McGirt decision and work diligently on, you know, working with local municipalities, with law enforcement agencies, um, ensuring that there were no gaps or, or um, uh, you know, any uh, uncertainties um, in jurisdiction were eliminated by entering into these agreements. And now we have over 75 different cooperative agreements with those agencies and have had the ability for tribal leadership to really step up and do it very quickly without waiting on the federal government to do something. So um, I think that's another really good example of the way self-governance can be a, a mechanism and tool in, in our belt to exercise our jurisdiction. That is, Melanie, and that was one of the big concerns when the McGirt decision came down is will tribes have the legal infrastructure to handle the caseloads? Will they have the law enforcement resources to handle those issues as well? And it sounds like, well, from what you described, the Choctaw Nation was perfectly positioned to assume those duties. Yes, I mean, it's been a lot of work, and, you know, we have teams and teams of folks, you know, working to ensure uh, that that happens. But having the ability to just jump in and make sure that it happens um, on behalf of tribal leadership is, was just terribly important. And self-governance, self meaning that we already had those in our self-governance compact, meant the tribe could immediately step in and do that. So that was, um, while it's ongoing and it's challenging and the workload is incredibly increasing, um, uh, I think we're being very successful. 
We're going to have to take a break here in about another minute and a half. But when we come back, we're going to talk with Lieutenant Governor Anna Tubby there, who is in Ada, Oklahoma. And he's going to talk about the Chickasaw Nation and how they place a priority on health care as well. Anybody with a question or a comment for today's show, what do you think of self-governance? Do you live in a tribe? Do you live in a tribal community that has a strong element of self-governance? Or do you have a tribe that uh, does not have a strong position with self-governance? Perhaps you rely very much on the Bureau of Indian Affairs or the Indian Health Service. We'd really like to know your thoughts on that. What do you think? What do you prefer? Do you like going to IHS? Do you like having BIA law enforcement? Or would you provide, prefer a tribal presence, a tribally managed and run alternative to those types of services? That's the concept here. That's what we're talking about, folks. Self-governance and how it impacts you, a tribal citizen, a Native American person living in your community. We've got some wonderful leaders on our show today who are explaining it from an organizational level, from an administrative level, but we also want to hear from you, somebody living in a community with your boots on the ground. Tell us what self-governance means to you. And you can do that on our show today by calling 1-800-99-NATIVE. That number again, 1-800-99-NATIVE. Lieutenant Governor of the Chickasaw Nation, Chris Anatubi, when we come back from this break. Challenges to societal harmony abound. Trauma, depression, addiction. In Native communities, these challenges affect nearly everyone. The Native American Social Work Studies Institute educates social workers for careers to address the needs of Native communities. You can be part of the solution as a peer support worker, community health worker, or a counselor with culturally relevant training from the Native American Social Work Studies Institute. Info at online.nmhu.edu. New Mexico Highlands University supports this show. You're listening to Native America Calling. I'm Sean Spruce. When was the last time you called into NAC? If it's been too long, now's your chance to join today's conversation about tribal self-governance. Our number is 1-800-996-2848. That's 1-800-996-2848. On the line in Ada, Oklahoma, we have Lieutenant Governor of the Chickasaw Nation, uh, <clears throat> excuse me, <clears throat> Lieutenant Governor Chris Anatubby. And uh, Lieutenant Governor Anatubby, uh, the Chickasaw Nation also puts a big priority on health care, as we heard earlier from Melanie Fourkiller about what's happening there with the Choctaw Nation. Tell us more about how the Chickasaw Nation has uh, worked with self-governance to expand its health care as well. Well, it, it, thanks, Sean, and, it, and it's good to hear the other leaders speak as well and their experiences uh, I want to kind of connect to a question that you asked Melanie about uh, self-governance being accepted. You know, uh, I came to work for the tribe in 1997 as a pharmacist working in our health system, and it's pretty much all I've ever known. Um, and so it's certainly accepted with me <laughs> uh, mm -hmm. in carrying those initiatives forward. Uh, you know, there was a uh, so I think before then, before we compacted, which was in 1994 with the Indian Health Service, there was some internal debating uh, as to whether it was the best course. Um, and it, it is, uh, it, it comes with its risks, uh, of course. Um, but looking back then at when we started at to where we've come today, and, and I'm, I have the, the privilege of working side-by-side side with Governor Anatubby very closely and hearing 
a lot of the and him sharing a lot of the stories and history of our nation as we've gone through this. Uh, we did actually uh, compact with the Department of Interior in 1993 for fiscal year 94. And so we had a couple of compacts going on pretty closely with two different uh, agencies that uh, were pretty important and pivotal to us expanding and, and caring for our people. Healthcare has always been a large priority for the Chickasaw Nation. Uh, we, we did have a hospital and outpatient clinic here in Ada. Uh, we have one uh, and three other clinics. And actually, when you speak of self-governance, we actually worked pretty closely with the Choctaw Nation, uh, who's very close to us in our, in our borders, uh, to actually uh, work with them to transfer uh, one of the clinics that we were operating under the compact um, just just several years ago. So it works a number of different ways when you, when you speak of self-governance and sovereignty, uh, Making those decisions and working with the federal agencies, uh, we, we've we've really expanded, and it's been very beneficial to uh, to building new facilities. Uh, we we had a joint venture with the uh, Indian Health Service to open a brand new medical center here in Ada in 2010. We also uh, two other joint ventures with the Indian Health Service were able to construct two new clinics. In our satellite facilities, and it's it's just been um, amazing to see the 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 growth of programs and services within our healthcare system. Uh, when I first started, we had I believe about 700 employees within our health system. Now we have about 1,600, and we expect that to continue growing. But making those decisions is pivotal. Uh, it's making it's what we need that we don't have also that we're able to move forward you know how to how to make and improve those services to our people and our uh, other uh, neighboring tribes that that come here well lieutenant governor that's exactly it like what have you folks learned and what have you learned through self-governance that you didn't know before about your people about the community about their health care needs because at the end of the day it's about empowerment and it's about being able to serve your people better than the federal government or anybody else right Correct. And so, you know, when you look at prior to uh, the 1994 compact, you know, there there was uh, just as simple as longer wait times, the language barriers between uh, patients and, and uh, the physicians, uh, unexpected medical bills showing up. Uh, mm -hmm. And Indian Health Service really did the best they could, but we knew that we needed a little more, uh, con I say, operational control and we're here, boots on the ground, with our citizens to listen to what they they need, and so we can take that locally and really, uh, I guess, transfer that into the services that we provide. And we were able, to, like Melanie mentioned, we we're able to start uh, adding revenue to our system um, by collecting third-party resources, and also with the joint ventures to expand uh, our federal support as well. So uh, it's just. It's really uh, been amazing to see the, the new facilities and services added over time uh, to accommodate all the, the needs of the patients. Um, we started a family medicine residency program, as, as Melanie mentioned, um, here in, in Ada as well, to help uh, recruit those and retain those physicians if, if, at the highest level we can. Uh, we've been able to add a lot, a, a lot of um, imaging equipment, um, 
and workforce support uh, for our employees here uh, to help them uh, create a high level, le higher level of quality for our care, but also for our patients. So uh, over the 10, the 10 years, you know, we, we've had these joint ventures. Uh, we have an active patient population of about 114, just less than 115,000. And then uh, if you look at all the combined visits, we, we are now up over a million visits per year in a, in a fiscal year. So we're, we're, uh, you wouldn't have seen that when I started in 1997. So it's really just uh, transpired to grow and enhance the services and the level of quality of care that people provide. Lieutenant and Governor, I want to talk. Uh, I, I want to ask you more about some of these highlights that you can share with us uh, from your success there with the Chickasaw Nation. But before we do that, let's take some callers. We have Gloria first, who's listening on station KYUK in Bethel, Alaska. Good morning, Gloria. Good morning. I'm very appreciative of this call-in show today and that you're talking about self-determination and exercising our inherent sovereign rights. My comments this morning are more directed to W. Ron um, regarding concerns that I have had since I became a tribal council member. I'm a citizen of the Orotsaho Hamute Traditional Native Council, the native village of Bethel, Alaska. And about 20 years ago, when I first started attending National Congress of American Indians conventions down in the lower 48s and in Alaska, our concerns were that of the total number of tribes in Alaska are approximately half of the tribes in this nation. And the tribes in my region, the AVCP region, number about a tenth of the tribes of the nation. So our concerns are, are valid in that um, because of the Alaska Native Claims Settlement Act, our tribes have no land base. We were divided between our tribal governments and native corporations. Okay. The state of Alaska is a 280 state and they are responsible for providing for our health, education, and welfare. Public safety is a huge issue in our rural villages. Many villages have no public safety to speak of. The state of Alaska has also not been a friend to the tribal nations in our state and defer more to corporations that have land that can be exploited. And right now, because of a recent court decision, the, corp the native corporations, the regional and the village corporations, are competing with the tribal nations for funds. And okay. that concerns me very much, so I will hang up and hopefully get a satisfactory answer <laughs> on what the NCAI may be doing as okay. a national um, advocate for the tribal nations to address okay. this. It's been 20 years, and at All the right. last NCAI Gloria, convention I was at, there was there okay. was no change. Thank okay, you. Gloria, I really appreciate that call. I, I, 
geez, you know, so many tribes up in Alaska, very, very different environment up there. Also with regard to the Alaska Native Corporations, and, and I'm familiar with those communities where law enforcement have to be flown in in an emergency situation. Very different scenario up there. But perhaps, uh, Ron, you can speak uh, to the issues of self-governance up there in the state of Alaska as compared to the lower 48. Can you do that for us? Uh, yeah, um, I, I can provide some some insights. Uh, Gloria raised uh, issues that is a, a common set of concerns from uh, the Alaskan communities um, and, and all the tribes up there and their very unique relationship, as you note, uh, with regard to the corporations and the corporation structure in Alaska that they've they've organized, both the profit and nonprofit uh, corporations. So it, it, it is a, a, a delicate issue, uh, a very large indigenous set of communities up there. Um, and when she talks about, you know, the need for health care, the need for public safety and the need for uh, capacity building for the tribes themselves, as opposed to the corporations, um, it, it is um, an issue that is evolving, uh, quite frankly. Uh, I do want to footnote, uh, just recently, the Department of Interior has changed their their policy with regard to taking land into trust on behalf of the tribe. So there's a, a couple of pieces, um, I, I can't remember exactly where they were, that have been taken into trust. So they're changing the way okay. that they're doing business. And so that helps a great deal. But the problem is, is, is uh, uh, when it comes to uh, public safety, uh, Mikowski has uh, uh, allocated a lot of money to try to figure out what is the solution to try to deal with, with the uh, uh, injustices that go on. Uh, because as everyone knows, violence against women and missing women, murdered women, et cetera, is very prevalent in, the, in many of the Alaskan communities. And mm -hmm. so that has been a, a high-profile issue for Interior and for the Department of Justice. Um, there's not a great solution yet, but, but we're trying to – they are trying to move in that direction. And we in the lower 48 are very supportive of it. Uh, uh, tribes that are in 280 states like Alaska, um, it, is, it is, pro is troubling, but it's complicated. And, and you already right. said it, and so is Gloria. Right, Alaska right. is unique. Absolutely. Thank you, Ron, for those insights. I want to take another caller now. We do have time for Eric, who is listening up in Lapway, Idaho, on KIYE. Hello, Eric. Hey, talk to me. Uh, good morning, and this person. I just wanted to offer a little bit about you know self governance and and self determination. And you know, I said as the chairman of the Nespers Tribe Fish and Wildlife Commission, and you know, our treaty rights um, encompass you know five states: Washington, Oregon, Idaho, Montana, and the northeastern section of Wyoming, and um, you know, um, when we you have this thing, Public Law 280, that governs a lot of the tribes, you know, with jurisdiction, and you know, the tribe has concurrent jurisdiction, you know. But one of the things that if you don't have uh, self governance, is you allow the other entities to come in and control that, and you know, and we're going through some of that with our hunting and fishing cases now, and some of the situations our tribes are involved with now you know, very vast uh, areas of issues of concerns the tribe dealing with now. But, you know, with that being said, you know, um, we've had to understand the complexities of the government and jurisdictions. And so developing our Fish and Wildlife Commission, you know, we uh, wanted to ensure that, you know, the commission, you know, we're a self-regulation, we're a regulatory body to, the, to our tribal executive council. And so we need to understand that, you know, we're, 
providing insight and oversight to our tribal council, who, who then makes the ultimate decision on how they move forward. But, you know, we promulgate annual seasonal hunting and fishing regulations, and we prescribe the manner and methods of which they may be used in taking fish and wildlife. You know, so there's a, uh, and then we're also consistent with applicable federal law to establish regulations for the use of fishing and hunting permits, license tags, and other related privileges within a tribe's territorial jurisdiction. So, okay. you know, I'd only say that to provide a little bit to, one of the things that's coming out with food sovereignty is the FIMSA, which is the Food Modernization Safety Act. And it's something that tribes need to look at in terms of developing their own safety codes so that the government doesn't come in and, and establish them for you. Right, the USDA right. is making those things. And so I just wanted to offer a little bit that, you know, we're doing our part, but it's still a, an uphill battle at times when you come into jurisdictional issues. And self-governance, though, is the way that tribes need to uh, move forward. Because okay. It's the only way that will keep their treaty rights impact in in the interpretation of those treaty rights are driven by you as the people moving forward so thank you for a little bit for that to share okay. a little bit for absolutely and eric great call coming down from lapway idaho and you really underscore the complexities and just some of the the moving parts here with regard to self-governance and i want to go back now to lieutenant governor anatubby there with the chickasaw nation and uh, our caller, Eric, mentioned hunting and fishing with regard to self-governance. And, Lieutenant Governor, I believe you folks deal with that there with the Chickasaw Nation. Can you talk about that as we begin to close out the show here in the next minute or so? We do. We do. And uh, we're it's it's something that's continuing as well. Uh, you know, you, you bring up a number of things when you, when you can uh, speak of wildlife uh, management and stewardship. Uh, you also, uh, Melanie mentioned public safety is another area. Um, you know, there's elements of that, uh, that, that figures into that. Uh, but when you, uh, one thing I want to mention before we run out of time and we speak about self-governance, you know, we we're talking, we've been talking a little bit through the lens of these federal programs and, and, uh, how we can operate those, but, you know, at the, at the essence and core of self-governance, uh, as a tribe, the Chickasaw Nation is an example. We have over 200 programs that are not federal. And so as the Chickasaw Nation, we can, if we need to create a program, that's an essential element of that. Also infrastructure, transportation, education programs. These are all areas where we can exert our uh, sovereignty, um, extend uh, and work through self-governance agreements with local and state, state agencies. We're going to have to wrap up the show now, but before we do, a big thank you to Tribal Chairman Ron Allen, Melanie Fourkiller, and Lieutenant Governor Chris Anatubby for sharp conversation and insights on tribal self-governance. Join us tomorrow as we hear from Native stepfathers about the rewards and challenges of their special parenting roles. Until then, enjoy the rest of your day. Support by Amerind, Indian Country's 100% tribally owned insurance partner. Amerind works with tribal governments and their business enterprises to provide effective commercial insurance coverage, strengthen Native American communities, protect tribal sovereignty, and help keep dollars in Indian Country. More information on property, liability, workers' compensation, and commercial auto solutions at Amerind.com. That's A M E R I N D.com. Smoking gave me COPD, which makes it harder and harder for me to breathe. I have a tip for you. 
if your doctor gives you five years to live, spend it talking with your grandchildren. Explain to them that your grandpa's not going to be around anymore to share his wisdom and his love. I haven't figured out how to do that yet. I'm running out of time. COPD makes it harder and harder to breathe and can cause death. You can quit. For free help, call 1-800-QUIT-NOW. A message from the Centers for Disease Control and Prevention. Native America Calling is produced in the Annenberg National Native Voice Studios in Albuquerque, New Mexico by Kwanek Broadcast Corporation, a native nonprofit media organization. Funding is provided by the Corporation for Public Broadcasting with support from the Public Radio Satellite Service. Music is by Brent Michael Davids. Native Voice One, the Native American Radio Network.